now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Good news is your dates are here. What's the bad news? They're dead. See, a United States Astro Robot becomes a creature of death. Oh. And they. We have come here to this planet for. One purpose only, to acquire breeding stuff to repopulate our planet. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Bots, Bugs, and Babes, the B-Movie Podcast, from classic to and the cheese between the movies are beef, the entertainment is grade A, and I am your host, Jason Jackanetti, joined by Devin Shal Jackanetti. Good morning, Jason. Today, we're, we're going to go back uh, for another anniversary, uh, 40 years ago, for A Nightmare on Elm Street. And we'll get to it right after this. The kids of Elm Street don't know it yet. But something is coming to get them. There's something out there, isn't there? We just see cuts happen. What did that, Lieutenant? I don't know. Tina! the coroner got to say? It's in the jaw and puking since he saw it. They're gonna kill me for sure. Did you do it? There was somebody else there. He was locked in a room with a girl who went in alive and came out in a rubber bag. No one knows where it came from or who it will visit next. Nancy, there's something wrong with you. You're imagining things. Nightmare on Elm Street. Do you believe in the boogeyman? No. Whatever you do, don't fall asleep. No! She's the only one who can stop it. If she fails, I'm your boyfriend now, Nancy. No one will survive. Craven, director of The Hills Have Eyes and Last House on the Left, a new masterpiece in fantasy terror, Nightmare on Elm Street. A Nightmare on Elm Street, which released limited run on November 9th, 1984, with a major release um, on November 16th, one week later, with a 91-minute running time. Uh, your director, of course, is the none other than Wes Craven, and uh, the story, this is, this is basically... There's so much Wes Craven in all of this movie. Unbelievable. Wes Craven, of course, um, is known for many people. Again, depending on how old you are, um, you might remember him as the guy from 
uh, who made Scream and those movies and all that, that series of franchise, which is later on. Um, for those that came before this, obviously, The, the Hills Have Eyes, uh, which is was his major hit. And then um, a movie that I can't stand, but a lot of people seem to say they love it, is last The Last House on the Left, which I think people just say they love it just to say they do. Um, and uh, obviously... Wes Craven, um, for those of us, well, maybe you don't know this, but Wes Craven passed away in 2015 at the age of 76. Um, and there was a lot of stuff around that time, people going back and looking at his his work. Um, Craven had become uh, kind of an, a horror icon for somebody who doesn't, who's not an actor, not a, not a monster in a movie, anything like He became a huge horror icon um, just in the way that like a guy like um, Sam Raimi did. And a guy, well, Sam Raimi went out to make mainstream movies too. And then like uh, John Carpenter and people like that. So, uh, your your it's also written by Wes Craven. Your producer here is Robert Shea. Now, Robert Shea, that name might sound familiar to you. That is New Line Cinema. Um, New Line is referred to as the house that Freddie built um, because New Line Cinema was literally just an office in New York City mm-hmm. with uh, like two people working. This idea hits. Um, they make this movie. Um, for $1.1 million, it returns $57 million just on box office alone, made New Line Cinema, what was then later called a mid-major, and then begins, they got sold and bought out by whoever kind of thing. But uh, New Line Cinema literally became um, a spot where movies that might not have been, they were not mainstream enough to be made by the MGMs and the Paramounts and the Universals. Uh, eventually, those movies, those companies would pick up on the idea that we need to make these kind of things. But New Line for years was always in the cutting edge of what's there. And Robert Shea, um, who is the owner of New Line, is the producer on this. And Robert Shea has talked openly about how both Wes Craven and A Nightmare on Elm Street, Robert England, those kind of everyone involved in this has helped literally uh, launch the careers of so many other people that because they were able to, New Line was able to exist and launch those careers. Much in the way that like a guy like Roger Corman was able to do that back in the 60s and in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, where he launched a lot of careers as well. Um, Robert Shea was able to give people opportunities to make movies that might not have had that opportunity otherwise. Um, your main stars here, the biggest name in the movie is John Saxon. Um, because just because of who he was at the time, John Saxon at that time has kind of been it was after Enter the Dragon and stuff like that. He kind of had his run. Um, some of them might remember him from Tenebrae, the Argento movie, um, where he has the weirdest scene ever where he's like, the hat won't fall off. And he starts shaking his head around like a crazy person. And you're just like, there's a serial killer murdering people. And we're worried about our hat staying on our head. Um, Ronnie Blakely uh, was an up and coming star at the time. Uh, where, well, she was a star kind of thing. And uh, Heather Landingcamp, actually, this is like her kind of jump off point. She went on to uh, from here to do um, Just the Ten of Us on TV. If you're of a certain age, you definitely know that show from um, back um, in the late 80s and stuff on ABC. Uh, it's partnered up with Growing Pains from back in the day. Um, and then the other, there are a bunch of other people here, but the main one is Johnny Depp. Uh, Johnny Depp was an unknown actor at this point who I want to say was Robert Shea's daughter, or I'm pretty sure it was Robert Shea's daughter, or it could have been Wes Craven. Someone thought he was really cute and he needs to be in the movie. And it didn't hurt that he could actually act. And Johnny Depp has a huge role in this movie, and this became his springboard. We all know he went on to 21 Jump Street, and then at some point decided to play a drunk pirate, and like other stuff that Johnny Depp has done. But this was where you see very young Johnny Depp. This is pre-Crybaby. This is pre-everything like everything else. He got other movies just from here, so he got him noticed. And probably the biggest star in this movie, who was most people thought as an afterthought, 
um, when it first happened, but became literally the star from this is, of course, Robert Englund. Robert Englund, um, the new documentary that came out in 2023 is outstanding. If you haven't seen it, he talks all about how he was uh, very often playing a villain in, uh, or heavy in a lot of TV shows and stuff like that. Um, he eventually went on to be on V, um, where he became kind of the comic relief on that show. Um, Robert, Robert England always said, it's funny. He's, he's a, a California surfer kid who plays a lot of Southern people. He, and he does. He, and a lot of times you see Robert England in a movie where he's playing uh, a villain. He has, has a Southern accent or something like that. Cause he just can, um, some of you might remember, we talked about him when we did dead and buried, uh, where of course that's, a, a the, the, um, oh, what's his name? The guy who did alien. Not, 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 uh, the, the producers of Alien produced Dead and Buried. I can't, like, shoe shit, right? Kind of thing. Um, but the whole thing was that he, Robert Ingalls in there as well, um, in a smaller role, but he talks all about the different roles he had and, um, you know, what sprung, you know, being Freddy is like the biggest thing he's ever done. Um, but it's now made Robert England literally like horror royalty. He literally can do anything anywhere. And we're like, oh, that's Freddy. That's Freddy. And he's just so recognizable, even though, let's be honest, he's wearing, how much makeup in this movie, like he's not Robert Englund just standing there, but his, you can still see him acting through the, the makeup itself. Um, the, uh, was it the, what, I'm sorry, the, uh, like I said, the production company was new line cinema. Um, so new line city, media, home entertainment, um, smart egg pictures is also part of the same thing distributed by new line. And as I mentioned, a $1.1 million budget with a box office of over 57 million, just, on actual the running of this not anything to do with gravy who knows how many vhs's this is sold dvds blu-rays how many times it's money's made money hand over fist um so one of the things i wanted to make sure i mentioned here uh i mentioned uh robert england here as freddie originally it was not supposed to be robert england david warner actually was supposed to be uh freddie krueger they did testing did makeups and as they, when you watch the um, Never Sleep Again, the the documentary they did about the Nightmare on Elm Street series, if you've never seen it, watch it. It's amazing, but just be prepared. It's like six hours long, um, which is good because the, what do you call one? The, um, well, it's like, no, it's like four and a half hours, whatever. The um, Crystal Lake Memories is almost eight hours. So, because it's more right. movies. David Warner did makeup effects. They did, they did everything on there. And he was actually going to be the guy. They were going to be like, well, this is going to work. But then he had a shooting uh, conflict and they couldn't, delay this production anymore so they moved on from him um kane hotter who would later be jason mm -hmm. Voorhees, um who is actually a burn victim because he he was he actually has burns covering a good chunk of his body um was brought in um but he wound up passing on the role as well um because he met with Wes craven and they talked about their freddie character and they weren't sure if they wanted to use him or not they thought they might want someone who was a little slighter than him because Kane is a big dude. He's a big guy. So um, Robert England came in, read. Um, and of course, uh, you know, the story is that Wes Craven and Robert Shea both fell in love with Robert England because he's so charming. And they were like, let's get this guy in the movie. And then it's funny because Robert England has always said that he has played Freddy to be a an old style, like, like a gunslinger in like an old Western. He would be the black cat in a Western, which is why when you notice how he stands, if you notice yeah. the glove is so heavy because the glove is real, the made of metal and stuff like that. Uh, his shoulders actually offset his shoulders dip down so that he hangs the glove at his waist where your gun would be because gunfighters would have their gun slung low at their waist for a quick draw. So when you look at when Freddie's standing, especially in this one, you can see it. 
he always would make sure he stood till he would look like a villain or the bad guy in an old Western. And that's very, um, because at the end of the day, um, Robert England is, you know, a classically trained actor. He went to acting school. He did plays and he was all about doing plays and stuff like that for years. So, um, but yeah, so, uh, where's the thing? So the other thing, and I just want to throw this out there. Um, you know, the, the, there are people who will look at a nightmare on Elm street and it's 40 years old and say, and pick it apart for all the tropes that were there in 1984. Those were not tropes. That was just how movies were made. Right. There are things in this movie that people say, Oh, I've seen that before. And then they list a movie made 35 years later. Right. And it's like, yeah, this is where, so just like when we did Friday the 13th, the first Friday the 13th and really Friday the 13th part two is where Jason comes into play. There are things established in those movies. And just like when we talked about Halloween and stuff like that, there are things established in these movies that became the horror tropes, but this is where they start. So when you look back at um, some of the, the movies, there, there are a lot of Nightmare on Elm Street ripoffs where it's about, you know, nightmares and dreams and what this movie is filled with stuff that might not make a ton of sense at the time. And then the later sequels even more, but it's a dream and dreams don't always make sense, which is why some people are like, well, why is there a sheep? Why does this happen? Why doesn't she just do this? Why did, you know, because it's a dream. And those little things became tropes later on that people just ripped off without even realizing that they are ripping all things off. They just knew that things to be there. So, um, of course, obviously we know this, uh, wound up spawning a number of sequels, including the crossover Jason versus Freddy. Um, even though there is kind of a crossover and Jason goes to hell for a second at the end of the film. Um, and then you wound up having new line itself going on to be the mid major. It was, and then eventually becoming a powerhouse in, uh, I mean, not, not, not MGM universal, but a powerhouse nonetheless. So, all right, so let's get rolling into the story here. All right. So our story opens, whoops, as I move the thing, um, with Tina Gray. Now, Tina Gray, um, I'll be honest with you. Everyone who saw, who's ever seen this thinks that Tina Gray must have been uh no that's that's Amanda Wiss playing her. She is literally designed and set up to be the main character in this movie, right? Because you see her first, she's the blonde, she's whatever there. And just like Janet Lee, she ain't the main character in this movie. Now she's important, but she's not the main character. And it's weird because at the time, um outside of Lori Strode, right, kind of thing, because remember Lori's always the goody goody and stuff like that in Halloween, right? You always had the the you know, body count movies didn't really exist yet. They weren't a thing, really. So having your young, good-looking actress be on the screen early, kind of, you know, okay, she's going to be it. Now, Laura, now, again, Jamie Lee Curtis purposely tried to make herself look very plain um, next to, like, um, uh, you know, Piper Laurie and who are not, – not Piper Laurie. And um, that's that's Carrie. Um, but the same thing even in Carrie, even in there, like when uh, Sissy Spacek made herself look as plain as possible next to these other people so they would stand out, so they would to stand out. Um, but we have our character of Tina, who awakens from a terrified nightmare which she, uh, which a disfigured man wearing a blade-fixed glove attacks her in a boiler room. Her mother points out uh, there are four mysterious slashes in her nightgown, making, of course, the joke that she needs to either cut her nails or stop dreaming, um, which is uh, kind of crazy. The following morning, morning, Tina's best friend, Nancy Thompson, which is the aforementioned uh, Heather Landing Camp, her boyfriend, Glenn, which, of course, is Johnny Depp, 
and uh, console her and reveal that they each had a nightmare the previous night as well. All right, let's stop there for a second. Great. So, the Nightmare on Elm Street opens, and what's the first things we see in this movie? Oh, you see his, you see his fingers. Yeah, you see him building the glove. Literally shows you not his full face, but shows you them building the glove. Yeah, now, that's the, crazy. Now, with with the the uh, uh, you know the advertisements and the uh, the trailers, did they show him? Nope. No, nope. That's they show I mean. Nancy laying in the bed. It's it's all drawn, and you see like kind of his face partially. You you never you had no idea what Freddie looked like. Right. You had no idea about the razor glove. You had no idea anything else. They signpost the razor glove five seconds in. Yeah. Well, that's, that's what I'm, I, as I turned it on, I, I expected the movie to start, you know, build up, build yeah. up, and yeah. then he's there. And then right away, you see you see the glyphs. I mean, I had a, well, my fingers need a, need a sleeve to begin with. I never thought about that on the end of the sleeve, I, I could put a razor yeah. and, uh, you know, get back at people, but that was, I was surprised. It really was. I, because I had not, I mean, obviously I know what he looks like and you, but to have that in the first 15 seconds of the movie, mm -hmm. uh, well, you know what you're in for. Right. But that's the thing is, so they wanted to make sure that they didn't just, this didn't have to be like, so in, in, a um, in Friday the 13th, in the original Friday the 13th, you have teenagers being killed because killed. it's telling it's but it's telling that story but you don't have no idea who's killing me like, obviously we don't know it's jason's mother um we, we just know that like they're off messing around and whatever and that's what they started doing instead of making movies where it took 20 minutes to get on with the characters right let's give you a little something at the beginning so you're like okay this has got my interest and now we can build the characters because they do build a lot of characters here yeah right um because yeah. we have to build the four main teenagers um the fourth one being rod which is tina's boyfriend um, although he doesn't have a lot of character build because he's not that deep a character. Um, but they need to establish that this is happening. And then we go right into the nightmare that she's having. And you're like, what am I watching? Like, is this reality? Is this real? Like, why is there, why does everything look off? Things look off. They look wrong. And you're like, but it's still at the same time. It's grounded in reality. It's still a street, still, you know, a boiler room is still, it's still people. There's nothing insanely fantastical that makes you think it's a dream. So it looks like it's real. But that's the whole point. So, um, and that's one of the things that uh, Wes Craven, let me throw, I'll throw it in here. Wes Craven, again, with the writing is, he's took a lot of stuff from his life and tied it all together. The Elm Street reference is in reference to a, uh, a student film he made where they were making parodies in upstate New York and they used Elm Street in, I think it was Rochester or something like that. Um, the, um, the, the, he had read about refugees um, in post-Vietnam who had come to America and they had had such severe nightmares they would die in their sleep and to the point where they would actually have, um, you know, they would try to stay awake for days on end and when they would finally fall asleep, they would get killed in their dream and die. Um, Freddie himself is inspired by um, Robert, Eng uh, not Robert, um, wrong before Robert England. Uh, Wes Craven had said that he had had, um, he was looking out the window and some man was walking up the street and he had a red and uh, he had a red and green sweater and then staring at him. And then he scared him so much. He ran away from the window. And then later he went back and the guy was still standing there staring at the window. So he's like, okay. And I guess Freddy Krueger was the name of someone who bullied him when they were younger. Like it's, it's literally Wes Craven taking everything in his life and putting it all in this melting pot of a movie. Um, so when you start having somebody who's directing and wrote, and wrote it, who knows the story inside and out, he can put things on the screen visually that would give you, because he's not having to guess at what the writer was saying. Now, sometimes having the writer be the producer, having the writer be directors doesn't always work out well. 
in this case, you kind of needed it because no one knew what this should be. It wasn't like this was a book. It wasn't like it was The Exorcist. Right. And someone's like, oh, and then they're going to make a movie, right, kind of thing. Or like Jaws. Oh, we're going to make a movie. There is no book. There's just what's in his head. So, um, but yeah, so the, the beginning of this movie opens differently than a lot of other ones did. It actually, it hooks you real quick. Um, you wake up and there's, and Tina's in bed and she has the slashes through there as Freddie is slashing at her as she wakes up screaming which already is, again, signposting some stuff later on that becomes very, very important at the end of the movie um, about the idea that what's in your dream could actually kill you or you could pull things through your dreams or stuff like that. Um, so the next day, they all... Uh, so... Uh, what is it? Oh, Tina's... Okay, so... Wait, wait. So Tina's mother goes out of town. Um, so um, Tina convinces Nancy uh, to have a sleepover. And, uh, of course, Glenn comes along for the ride. Um... Uh, where they're there. And then Rod, this is where we first meet Tina's boyfriend, Rod, who interrupts the, uh, um, the sleepover and is now in the same way that he's going to stay. Now the mom's not there. So there he's going to sleep with him and Tina are going to go off and uh, into the mom's bed. And that, um, you know, Nancy being the good girl is going to sleep in Tina's bed. And uh, Glenn being the, the, you know, the good boyfriend is sleeping on the couch. Yes. Yeah. Well, you know, that this, again, this is now, Far enough uh, after um, Halloween that when I the first, what I wrote down, I said there's, there's the two prerequisites right away. You got Rod, who initially is the jerk. Yeah, he is a jerk, right? He's, yeah. And the sex scene with the with with Tina, and but they but it's not it's not, not shown. As, it's not as graphic as, as some of the others. But again, I said that. So here we are with the two prerequisites. Let's get on with the show. Right. Well, that's the whole thing. You have to have that in there um and the whole thing instead of showing you the sex scene they show uh glenn on the couch you know listening, listening to them and he's getting upset because he knows that there's nothing happening for him with nancy which again is establishing nancy as the the virginal good girl the one who's got her head on straight she's not worried about sex she's not worried about you know whatever she has a boyfriend but she's not worried about all those things Lori strode literally it set the mold for it and it's so funny because when people talk about like well all these movies are just misogynistic and they kill people yeah. as many guys get killed in them as women right it's just like if you hear a guy you know when, like screaming oh don't kill me like okay you're like you don't feel like you're trying to elicit a response from the audience so when you have a monster chasing a girl like in the literally every 50 movie ever it's a response listening response but just as many guys get killed, and Nightmare on Elm Street especially. Nightmare on Elm Street series, more, I, I'm betting more guys get killed in the entire series than women. Because yeah. in this series, I mean, you know, Nancy, I mean, if you haven't figured out already, I mean, it's 40 years old. Nancy is the heroine in here. She literally is the one who got her head screwed on straight, like so many Laurie Strode did. And even in the same vein, I know it's a different kind of movie, but like Ripley did in Alien. Yeah. And none of them are worried about yeah. sex in that movie. Like, they're all supposed to be, like, doing their thing. But she's an officer like so she's supposed to be kind of intelligent and not the grunts and i don't mean that to be negative but like let's be honest alien is blue collar like space they are workers they're you know it's grungy and dirty it's not the pristine pretty 2001 a space odyssey kind of space this is real dirty grimy we're going we're recovering ships and stuff like that but this is not we're not talking about alien right now yeah but i'm saying it but that thing had been established and laurie strode had established that you could be resourceful and whatever and not be a super, like, she's not superhuman. Like she doesn't have this insane knowledge, but she's smart and being smart 
in these movies is not always it's it's good for you to survive, right. but it's not making you super popular. Right. Yeah. You know, the one thing about here is that a lot of movies that 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 you see uh, date themselves uh, with the like in the forties. Everybody has a cigarette, and here uh, Johnny Depp is when he's when he's listening to the quote sex that's going on. He's got this humongous boombox, which was the which was they were gear in the in the eighties. Everybody seemed to have one, and it was if you if you could lug one of these around, you were one of the better guys at the at the playground. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So um, okay. Well, um, so after uh, they have sex, so when Tina falls asleep, she dreams of this figured man chasing her. Um, so okay. So during that chase scene, it has um, just some of the best stuff. They <laughs> things that work by accident. So he's supposed to be scraping his nails on everything, like, but that his arms are long and he's scraping mm -hmm. things. It's all by accident. Things happen by accident. And Robert England, you know, the way, watch the way he runs. The glove is so heavy that it actually changes his <laughs> gait. And he stands like a gunslinger. And he says, he, he, he he's like, well, I, once I we got heavy, it made me stand like that. So he's thinking, I'm thinking, I'm thinking of like old Westerns or like, because he, he, he plays, oh, I was kidding. He says he plays Freddy Krueger as Jimmy Cagney. That's who he is. It's just, it's just, you know, it's just, he's like, I'm James Cagney. I'm in Scarface. I'm in, not Scarface, it's um, uh, Public, Public Enemy. Enemy. And I'm like, he goes, I'm playing like a gangster, but that's what he wants him to be. But then he's like, but then he looks like, but you stand and you're like, you look like you're in a spaghetti Western and whatever, because Robert England is well-versed in these things. Yeah. Now, the, now I don't know, but obviously the, the, a lot of everything here has got to be done, uh, you know, in camera. There's, oh yeah! There's, oh, there's, there's, the, 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 I'm going to talk about the scene. Which, yeah, I know. Yeah. Okay, so she falls asleep. She wakes up screaming, and then you—the scene you get after he's been chasing tra tra her—is Rod gets out of the bed, and you see two people in the bed. But and you see underneath the sheets, we see underneath the sheets Freddie fighting with her. He rips the sheet away, and it's just Tina, and he thinks that she's having a nightmare. To then where her stomachs get slashed completely open, all physical effects, no CGI, obviously. Blood pouring out. He starts screaming. She gets carried in the air and starts whirling around. Now, that was done, obviously, with a harness and stuff like that. Right. And and then she clocks. Now, everyone seems to forget this. She clocks Rob with her head right in the face. And he goes down like a ton of bricks. Now, when Rod <laughs> falls into the lamp, he's supposed to knock the lamp over. The lamp shorts. And, goes, and it, like, shocked him when he hit the ground. In the documentary, they talk about that, right? He, he's like, oh, because then she comes around, supposed to hit me, and I'm supposed to fall into the lamp. But they only had one lamp. So that was the only shot they had. So they had to use it. Then Tina starts getting dragged around the room. Now, this is a very old idea. Um, oh, uh, is it Gene Kelly who's no, dancing? No, it's Fred, on, Astaire. Fred Astaire. Fred Astaire. Fred Astaire, who's dancing on the walls up on the ceiling. That exact thing. So they start turning the room, Ooh. right? Yep. The problem is you're turning the room. Well, what's all over the room on the floor now is all the fake blood. They're turning it. So the blood's running yeah. and running yeah. and running. And so they're turning the room and they turn the room way around. And then, of course, it's a stunt woman dropping into the, onto the bed, right? But when they turn the room, that effect has been used several times in the Nightmare on Elm Street series um, because because that's something that can't happen in real life. And that's what sets them apart. So like in a Halloween movie, Michael Myers, no matter how much he's chasing you, the room's not going to start spinning. Right, Jason Voorhees, the room's not going to spin. Chucky, Chucky, the room's not going to spin. But in Freddy Krueger's world, a hundred percent, the room you could be dragged up there because you're in a dream, and it's all happening. And he got that scene is, and then what happens? They shoot Rod here, and they shoot the scene, and they impose him later. 
Like he'll, he shot kind of in front of the camera, but that's all filmed. And it's guys physically turning yeah. it. Well, you, you, this goes, this harkens back to some extent to the exorcist. Yep. When, you know, when Reagan is, is manipulated by the devil all over the, all over the room. Um, yeah. the, well, she's thrown around and done whatever. Yeah. yeah. Well, and a lot of that was done. Well, they did that with the board. She was on a board and they right. were pulling her back and forth, which really actually hurt um, um, Linda Blair, physically hurt her. But uh, yeah, I mean, then, but they wanted to make it different. So the levitation and stuff, when she's spinning, you're like, okay, but now we got to make it look different. When we make it different, we start dragging her around the room yeah. and no one had seen that. No, this was, this I was, guarantee that popped the whole audience. It's a very, I mean, you know, you talk about a jump scare. This was one where it's continual. It just yeah. keeps going and yeah. going. It's not like, bam, it's done in, in less than half a second. Yeah. And she's getting dragged all around, screaming, because she's still getting cut up. And Rod's screaming. And that's when you get Nancy and, and Glenn trying to get in. The door's locked. They can't get in. She falls. Then they drop her back. They come back in. Rod has run away. And there's Tina's prone body, blood everywhere. I mean, you, you now have no idea what to think. Because Rod's kind of like, and he's a jerk. And kind of they are friends with him because they probably have known him their whole lives. But no one really kind of likes Rod a whole lot. Yeah. And, they, and they don't know if they can trust him because he carries a switchblade on him. And he kind of is the guy who probably gets into trouble. Um, but. Well, you know, now he becomes the, the, main, the, main the, main, the main suspect. But again, what. Well, who else would you expect? No, no. But, <laughs> the, but, the, but the coroner and the and the, M, the ME, uh, you know, would, would have realized. Well, they said it. They, they, they go, we have no explanation for why there's. I mean, because there's blood everywhere. Right, but they asked. They're asking Nancy and Glenn. They go, "We didn't see it. the door was locked. We came in. It was blood, but there's blood everywhere. There's blood all over." They go, "Well, there's blood over the ceiling. There's blood. Well, there's blood everywhere. They don't understand how there's blood everywhere. Right, but, but she's dead. Yeah, but that's the. I mean, but he's the obvious. The obvious yeah, right. the, has to be know, killer. Yeah. But again, you would think the ME would have realized that his little switchblade could not have cut. The, 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 well, they don't know what he cut it with. They're saying they don't know oh, what yeah. he used, right? They, he, but they don't know that it just was a switchblade. He could have had something else with him. That's what they're yeah. saying. It could because remember there are razors on the end of his finger. So if he had a straight razor or something like that, yeah. he could have cut her up. They don't know that all four happened at one time. They don't know that she was. They just know that there's blood literally yeah. everywhere. What there was a scene just before when when uh, um, she comes when Tina comes out of the has the not Tina. Um, Nancy. Nancy comes out of out of her nightmare, which is really effective. Scene. Oh, okay. That's she right. has. I mean, she's she's laying in bed, and there's a crucifix in behind her, and the crucifix falls on onto the bed, and then there's the visage of Freddie pushing through the pushing wall. through the like coming through a gauze. Yeah. And it, and then as she wakes up and picks up the it backs away. Yeah. That's very effective. That scene has been ripped off so many times. Yeah. Literally. I wish I was kidding. kidding. The poster for the Frighteners, the Frighteners literally is, is that, that ripoff. Yeah. But what happens? The cross falls off the wall. She's holding on to it. Then Freddie's able to come out. When she wakes up and goes back, she puts the cross back on the, the wall, wall, which keeps him out. Which, again, Freddy Krueger and, and Catholicism is not a thing in these movies. not a vampire. Yeah. But it's just the idea of the good and, and, the, and the wholesomeness that Nancy has. She's not doing something wrong, but she could still die. Yeah. So that's the crazy part. It's just because she's not having sex or doing drugs or whatever. She's not doing anything wrong. She still could get killed. killed. Yeah. See, which the, is, which is, but every other movie we've seen, again, in this genre, right? With that, they were kind of like, it became, if you're having sex or you're the one doing those drugs or you're doing whatever, you're going to get killed. That's not necessarily, in Friday and Nightmare on Elm Street, that's not always true. Yeah. The, I was, 
I was when when I saw that scene, I said, "Is the cross the uh, um, you know the the effective uh, cancellation of Freddie? Does can she wear a, a cross in, yeah, a, no. as a as, nope. a as a would that stop him? No. And the answer is no. no. Yeah, because he's not a vampire. Right. But that whole point was it was just trying to show you that um, it's just trying to reinforce again that Nancy is the one who is um, you know. She's she's kind of keep her head about her. She's trying to be there for her friend. She's always looking out for me. Like she's not looking at well, my boyfriend's here, and I could be shacking up with him because no one knows mm-hmm. where we are, um, you know, kind of thing. All right, so um, forces of in the room. Flea is Nancy and Glenn awaken to find Tina. Okay, the next day, Nancy's father, who is Don Thompson, which is of course John Saxon, um, they use Nancy as the bait to lure Rod out, and they uh, arrest him despite his pleas of innocence. So at school, Nancy is in class. Who's the teacher in that scene? Do you know? That's Lynn Shay. That is Robert Shay's sister. Okay. Uh, you would know her from all the insidious movies and every other movie she's been in. She's the old woman in all the, uh, oh, the, the old woman. Okay. No, the, yeah, no, no. I, the, 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 the medium, the yes, one that comes to no, her house. No, but Lynn Shay has been in hundreds of movies. Yeah. But I mean, the name, the name didn't, didn't ring a bell with me. And obviously she doesn't look like, the woman from Insidious. No, she looks exactly the same, actually. Just look, if you would but think of somebody older. 40 years later, yeah. yeah. But, like, Lynn Shea has been in a ton of movies. Um, and, again, she it's it's kind of easy when, you're, when your brother's making the movie. You know, kind of, hey, you want to be in it? Sure. And she never has a huge role. And the Insidious, she's much more important. Because, remember, right. she's the one who's helping them find, you know, uh, the son. And, what. oh, if you haven't seen Insidious movies, there's, like, nine of them catch up. Um, so not nine, there's five, but, um, but still like she's in those kind of thing, but she's made making movies for years, but she's the English teacher here in her little role, right? Normally, uh, what would happen in, uh, movies after this, the English teacher, the professor would be like Wes Craven or it'd be Robert Shea or it'd be, cause they would always stick themselves in some small role. A lot of times in the nightmare series to just be that little, first of all, you don't have to pay yourself and cause you can just work for free. Uh, and you're on the set anyway. And sometimes they would stick themselves in, but Lynn Shea is somebody who they would stick in in these kind of roles. Um, and the same thing, uh, who do you call would do that? I mean, uh, Roger Corman was notorious for using the same people over and over oh, again. Yeah. I mean, and I don't mean just Dick Miller, who was in like every one of his movies kind of thing. So she falls asleep during English class. Uh, uh, and then she dreams that the man chases her into the boiler room where she is cornered. Now, there are scenes in this thing that have been ripped off again and again also. Tina in the body bag. Yeah. Like, okay, like, I'm not saying that they invented that scene, but I'm just saying, have you seen Exorcist 3? Because there's a scene in there, really, that's almost shot for shot. Yeah, well, is it, well Exorcist 3 is, is years it, later. Right, you know, that's, years yeah. later. Well, again, an effective scene is an effective scene. No, 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 scene. but it's used differently there. Yeah. But I'm saying is, but a body and a body, body bag, bag being dragged around, like, like, in a clear body bag, not a black yeah. corner bag. Right. A, a clear, clear body bag. That's very effective that here. That has blood. Yeah, mean, yeah, you know, it, it's, not just that it's everything blood and then eventually the rot yeah. and everything else that comes out of there of course the the hall monitor is wearing a freddy sweater <laughs> and of course when she's dreaming and the famous line screw your pass very kind of thing which is funny because nancy not supposed to swear right she's supposed to be wholesome and good right because yeah. no one would say screw your pass kind of thing um but like it's the um Obviously, she's dreaming because the the Paul monitor then makes has the line. She has the Freddy glove on, um, and then we start learning more kind of about Freddy. But we don't know about we don't we kind of know there's a guy. He's got a glove. We got all that. He's killing people. He's clearly disfigured, 
Um, I mean, Tina rips his face off at one point and has the fake looking skull underneath, <laughs> but that's what a dream would be. Like, this is things that like Freddie's even able to like with Tina, he takes it and he chops his fingers off and shoots green blood. Mm. Like, why is it green? Cause the fingers are back, but it's a dream. It's not real. It's like, um, so that's why it's, it's it, for everybody. If you're watching this movie, you get, it, if you're not really into it to begin with, yeah. it's a little confusing, confusing. Well, because now, you know, the, the initial, the initial um, dream, she wakes up with her, her nightgown slashed yeah, yeah. and it's slashed with the, with obviously the, the four fingers of the glove. Uh, right after this scene, when she comes up, she's got a burn mark yeah. well, because she, she's being chased again through that the boiler room, the boiler yeah. room again. And so what's real and what isn't well, real? She burns herself on the pipe to wake herself up. Yeah. She's like this. She's got to wake up. She burns herself on the pipe. So Nancy's now realizing I can hurt if, I, if, if, I, if something happens in my dream, it's going to happen in real life. So, cause they've got, Nancy has started to figure out that Rod probably didn't kill her. Right. He was there, but he keeps swearing there was someone else that all this happened. There's, and it's, it's just the amount of blood that was everywhere else in the room. It, Rod still got blood on the next day. So how do you get all the, where'd the rest of the blood go? You know what I'm saying? So um, it's one of those things that Nancy's starting to piece things together. Um, which is great because that's the whole point of it. Cause you as an audience kind of know more than she does. So you're kind of like, well, how's she going to get the, you know, more than the, the main character and she's catching up to you. And she's starting to figure out, I can things, he can hurt me in my dream. I can't hurt him, but what if he, what, what if I could pull the, so I got burned and I came out of it. And that's when she wakes up and she leaves class and whatever. And you're like, she's starting to kind of put together like things that are happening there can hurt me. But if I can somehow, get things out of it. Maybe I can hurt him. And that's when she's, you see the gears start turning with Nancy because she's smart. That's the whole point that she's, she's starting to figure it out. Um, where are we here? So she, uh, she burns her arms in the pipe. The burn, uh, startles her awake in class and she notices a burn mark on her arm. Nancy goes to visit Rod at the police station where he describes Tina's death along with his own recent nightmares about a man stalking her in her dreams, leading Nancy to believe the man is the one who killed Tina. But of course, no one's going to believe her because who believes that someone in your dreams killed you? You're like, it's a dream, you know, but it's, yeah. you know, what, what connects, what connects the, you know, the two girls and, and, uh, and, and Rod with the, the same dream, because even Tina had a dream that, that she recounts that it, the man, yeah, they the all dream, have the same thing, all right. the same thing. Yeah. I mean, but, uh, but Johnny Depp doesn't have the same dream. And cause he's. Like, why is he the outsider and the other three characters all are dreaming the same dream? Yeah. It's, that's, it's not, it's, it's, it's not explained. It's not explained. Well, it is eventually explained and then well, later expanded upon. Yeah. Um, but that's the whole thing is why, you know, what, what's happening here. So, um, Nancy goes home, she falls asleep in the tub, which has oh. literally, I understand it's Jaws and it's, it, that's his poke at Jaws because it's a yeah. poke at Jaws. Um, the, the hand coming up. But how many times have you seen that in a Zucker Brothers movie later on? The, the shark fin, the, the whatever, the glove comes out of the water. That is a literal Jaws reference. And that scene, people jumped. Right. And it is creepy. Jumped. The hand coming up. And of course, she's like, uh, I'm fine, mother. Well, you know, <laughs> she's laying in the tub and she's, she's obviously she's asleep. asleep, but she's relaxing. And then as soon as her eyes close, it, it doesn't it doesn't happen immediately. She she has her legs open and and from the 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 back of the tub towards her face and then the glove comes out of the water. I it if you're if you've taken 
your girlfriend to the movies, that is probably the, the, the biggest jump scare that will ever happen to that girl in her life. Uh, unless you saw the end of Friday the 13th, the first one, well, where Jason jumps out of the lake. Literally, people had heart attacks from that. That, But that's what you, you pray to God you can get one of those in a movie in your entire career. Right. There are directors who had those in movies multiple times. And people are like, how can that happen? But it gets you every time. Yep. Um. So, yeah. So, of course, then she's like, I'm fine. She falls asleep. Freddie tries to drown her. Right. Again, another, like, it's not always just slashing her to bits. Now he's drowning her. And of course, how many people have ever had that nightmare of like, you know, you're drowning and you can't get out of it. You can't wake up. The classic ideas of these nightmares that like, you know, it's a nightmare of you're being chased and you don't know where you're going or you, you can't run because of whatever, or you're drowning or you're falling or like they play on all of the classic nightmare tropes or that are not tropes that are nightmares people actually have because it makes it real to you. It makes someone say, Oh my God, I had a dream about drowning one time and I woke up barely able to breathe. Yeah. So she's drowning. And then of course she wakes up enough to get out of the tub. When her mother's breaking the door down or uh, uh, opening the lock on the door. And she's like, I'm fine. I just slipped getting out of the tub. Cause now she's realizing I really can't fall asleep. Like even a couple of seconds of falling asleep could mean the end of my life. Right. That is a direct nod, even though Wes Craven has never said that, but it becomes very, very clear at that point. That is exactly Invasion of the Bystanders. Think about it. Yep. All you got to do is Just fall asleep, asleep for a second. They're in the cave. She falls asleep. She wakes up oh. and she's not her. And you're like, oh my God. Like you have, Invasion of the Bystanders to me is one of the greatest movies ever made, period. That little bit there at the end, people are like, oh, well, how could it happen so fast? Because that's how fast it can happen. You only fall asleep. I mean, you could die in a bathtub. You fell asleep. You drown easily. That could happen. Fall, hit your head, whatever. Right? She only falls asleep for a minute. Yeah. And uh, she could die. But you know, but you didn't need the you didn't need the pod to be right next to her. Right. Like, you know, because yeah. well but, now it's gotten to the point where it's it's now spread and spread. spread and spread. Well, that and, and and I know that people always point to that as like, but what's invasion of the bystanders? But we are we are to assume that they already have a double of her and it's them replacing her kind of thing. What but that's a different let's go back and listen to that podcast. We talk about yeah. that there. But just that just that quick nod. To that, even though most people probably wouldn't even understand it, it's an invasion of body snatchers nod, the idea of falling asleep and losing control for that one minute allowed the enemy to get in. Here it allows Freddie to grab her. I mean, she goes to sleep, bam, he pulls her right under. Like, it's not like she fell asleep and I've been asleep for a couple hours, now he's going to get me. Right? It's like, asleep, boom, now you're underwater. And it's like that instantaneous is now making you realize, I really can't even slip up a little bit. Which is when she starts now formulating her plan. Um, where is it? Nancy sees, uh, where are we here? Um, okay. Uh, uh, I just skipped over the whole thing. Uh, okay. At home, Nancy falls into the tub and nearly drowned nearly. And then realizes that the, she relies on caffeine to stay awake and invites Glenn to watch her as she sleeps in her dream. Now she falls asleep. Um, she sees the man preparing to kill Rod in his cell. And then he turns his attention towards Nancy. Nancy runs away and awakens up when her alarm goes off. And she's ready to kill Glenn because he fell asleep in the chair. And he's not having the nightmare. So he's like, oh, it's the big deal. Like, let her get some sleep, right? And she comes out of there and she has, like, some of the shrubbery, some of the whatever. Like, there's stuff. She's pulling shit out of her dream. So this is when she's starting to realize, wait a minute, I there's stuff here. Not overtly saying it, but now there's part of the ivy from outside. How'd the ivy get in there? How'd, like, it's because she's grabbing it as she's trying to get away from him. Right. right? And that's the... The other thing is when she wakes up 
uh, in in the hospital. Wait, well, we got to get there. That's coming yeah. up. Yeah. I mean, but that's this starts it with the with the shrubbery. That's how that. Yeah, she has an idea that I can maybe pull something right, out of here. Getting, yeah. She's getting closer. I burned myself in my dream. I burned myself for real. I mean, without touching anything hot. I pulled some stuff came out with me right. here. Maybe it's something else. And then you start having. Um, so Nancy uh, runs. Away, uh, okay, wait a minute. So um, they they go to the police station. They want to see Rod. They're like he's fine. Like no, no. And what happens is he's asleep. And he starts screaming, and they all try to go in there, and he's hung. Yeah. I, what? So there's no. So the thing is this: they're like, well, he hung himself. There's no way he could hang himself. You know, that's that's a that's a that's a great scene. Again, these are all practical effects. Yeah, that's okay. How? So it's a wire. I know how to do it. So okay, well, he's laying. There's a wire pulling the sheet yeah, across, yeah. whatever, and then some of it's filmed in reverse. Right. Is him being lowered yep. instead of raised and whatever, but it's all a harness behind him, and he's being raised and lowered with a harness. And it's not actually, I mean, yeah, I but, mean, the, but, but the, the sheet moving with no hand, hands, really effective. Yeah. Especially for 1984. Now yeah. it'd all be CGI. It'd look like garbage. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. So, um, at Rod's funeral, Nancy's parents become worried that she's describing her dreams. Her mother, Marge, um, takes her to a sleep disorder clinic. We're in a dream. Nancy's able to grab his fedora and it has his name, Fred Krueger, written inside right. of it and pulls it into the real world. It also gives her that streak of white hair. Now, the streak of white hair, I'm not saying that's a, uh, eventually would become um, a nod at from Sam Raimi, but let's be honest, Sam Raimi and Wes Craven and uh, these guys are all kind of going back and forth to each other. Ash, when he eventually sees the Evil Dead in the part two, gets a white streak in his hair, which goes away in, in the next, in the sequel, but he gets a white streak from how scary it is because it's so scary to Nancy in the dream that she actually put a, a white streak through her hair. It's saying this is real horror. It's it is. Could, could that have been? I mean, could that have been another? It's a nod to the, uh, the right of it. It is, but to say that it's so scary that it turned her hair white—that's yeah. the whole point. I'm going to guarantee you. Sam Raimi then said, "Oh, you think you're scary? Let me show you what scary is in Evil Dead Two. So, for those who don't know, at the end of Evil Dead Two, Evil Dead One and Evil Dead Two, basically the exact same movie. At the end of Evil Dead 2, when the, when the Deadites, when he opens the door and it grabs him, the tree thing grabs him, there's a white streak right through his hair. And it's a, it's a direct shot at Wes Craven right. saying, wait, 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 you're not scary. This, this is, is really scary. scary. Um, for those of you who don't, you know, I've I've talked about this stuff before. The whole idea of the, in in um, the Hills Have Eyes, the Jaws, the Jaws poster with this last through it saying to Steven Spielberg, you're not horror. I'm horror. That's Wes Craven. Of course, the Hills Have Eyes poster is slashed in um, Evil Dead, which is Sam Raimi saying, you're not horror, we're horror. And in a few minutes, and in a minute, we're going to talk about how Wes Craven got back at uh, Sam Raimi in a minute, oh. saying, you're not horror, we're horror. You're, you're a movie. You're safe. Yeah. We're horror. Because what is Nancy watching on the screen? She is watching uh, Evil, Evil Dead. Dead. Yeah. And she's watching Evil Dead and you're like, okay, it's a TV. It's a little black and white television. You're not horror. We're horror. And the reality is this. Anyone who's seen uh, Evil Dead by that point, 100% was like, that's Evil Dead. You knew it immediately. Yep. It wasn't like some rando scene. It literally shows you ash. It shows you whatever. But it's, you know, but it's what it is. Yeah. Um, now, the, 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 yeah. At this point, when, uh, you know, she has the, the hat. Yep. But why it was? I'm always, I say this: the, the the people that are in the movie, why don't you believe her? Well, because okay, no, no, because, so that no, she no. pulled the hat out of a dream. Well, yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. No, but 
That seems but, nuts. But when she's in the bed, no, nobody gave her a hat to bring in. But nobody believes. They all think that she's imagining this to, uh, to almost that she's going completely insane. Well, the mother says it. Well, I don't know how you got the hat. I don't know how you did that. Like as if she tri is tricking them, as if she's lying, trying to pretend that, that this man looks like this and she now somehow has the hat with her yeah. and she's tricking them. So they believe her because she's desperate for them to believe it. The mother just wants her to go to, go to sleep. Yeah. And, and that's when she tells, she's like, his name's Fred Krueger. And that you could just, but you could see it in the scene when they're when, at, at the, at Rod's funeral, John Saxton and, and the mom, right. Kind of thing that when she's describing, he had knives for fingers and they're just like, the, they immediately right across their face. They knew exactly who it was. They knew it was Fred Krueger. They knew it is. Yeah. And well, that's, we find it, as as the movie continues on, you find out why. Well, right, but I'm saying, but they know, but we yeah. know, we know, they now no, know, no. but Nancy's not aware that they know. And then this is when the mother tells her they go down to the boiler, and um, they're um, so okay. So the mother goes crazy, barricades the whole house, rips down the trellis, bars on the window, everything is locked, right? The whole thing, right? So she now takes her down there, and in their furnace. Which that I don't understand, but I get the idea of it. They she has Freddie's glove, oh. and you're like, I I don't know if I would keep that. Like I I'm a memorabilia guy, but that might not be. But um, having a child molester and murderer um that you hunt down and burn alive and kill might not be the souvenir I would take from that. But what do I know? I wasn't a parent in 1984. I was six. So um. She has Freddie's glove, which of course is signposting later in the movie when the glove's missing, and that's what the whole idea that now we're in a dream, right? Because he's coming for his glove back. Um, and so we now have uh, so they uh, you so Marge explains that Freddie was an insane child murderer. Okay, so he's always been a child murderer. They kind of veer away from that in the later movies because they started making kids pajamas and stuff like that, and that was kind of like you know marketing Freddie, um, but. They talk about kind of is hinted at here and later that he actually is a child molester too, which they eventually just drop entirely later in the series it, because it doesn't help the story. I mean, he, killing children is bad enough. Mm -hmm. He doesn't need to molest them too. But right. the whole point was they were trying to make Freddie so despicable and so horrible and so disgusting. And yet this is what I find so funny um, because um, Doug Bradley talks about this all the time. Doug Bradley, for those who don't know, is Pinhead. For those people who don't know who Doug Bradley is, that's Pinhead. Doug Bradley has said time and time again, he goes, do you understand how much fan mail I get saying that people love Pinhead, that he's their favorite character? He goes, Pinhead does nothing good or respect. He does nothing nice ever. He's torturing people and skinning them alive and whatever. Freddy Krueger has never done anything nice ever. And literally Robert England, it's more Freddy fan mail that they love Freddy. We're at conventions, right? Little kids dressed like well, Freddy. Well, Little kids dressed yeah. like Freddy, right? They made Freddy pajamas. They made Freddy. I mean, but later on, the Freddy, the the merchandising train went ape, and they just made everything Freddy. But it's like it's so crazy to think that like people are like, well, like you know, I'm going to make this guy the most despicable, horrible character in the world, and then you get things like, um, what's his name, Joe Spinelli from Maniac. Yeah. Yeah, no one is like, I mean. We as horror fans, or we as film, you know, people who appreciate Joe Spinelli's his character. His, we can appreciate the character, but we're not like, man, I love that guy. Like, no, right? But like, 
the the crazy part, this is what people didn't understand, was that they're like, well, they're just a nameless, faceless killer. How can they like them? But they're not nameless, faceless killers. Michael Myers, even though he wears a blank mask, still is the kid who kills his sister. <laughs> it's a, There's a story to it, right? Yeah. He's not just a killer you have no connection with who breaks in your house and kills you. There's a story there. Jason Voorhees is the little boy who's drowned in the lake and then magic comes back alive and then eventually becomes a zombie and crap. So like, but like you can, but there's story, there's a character, there's someone you can re, like not to relate to, but you can like, okay, this is, I'm invested in this. Fred Krueger is all story. Like from, from the, from the making the glove to open the movie, you have built Freddy to be the star here the whole time. I know it's supposed to be Heather Lanningcamp as the heroine right. and people yeah. love Heather. I, I love Nancy. Nancy is a character. Everyone loves her. She's literally one of the most beloved. When you get to, well, when we get there eventually, when you get to part three, you're like, what the hell? Like, come on. Like Nancy is so important to the point where Wes Craven's new nightmare, when Heather Lanningcamp plays Heather Lanningcamp, right? People are like, but she's still Nancy. It's like, well, but she's playing herself here. She's playing Heather, the person, even though this fanatical kind of thing that happens, right? It's always amazing to me when they try to make the character so despicable and so horrible and so vile, but you spend so much time giving us backstory, we of course get invested in that character. Now, how many of like the, I'm trying to think, like um, like Black Christmas, the original Black Christmas, right? Where it's the guy in the attic just murdering them. Right. We don't know anything about him. He's just a guy killing girls. Do you feel for him? Nope. 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 You don't root for him. Nothing. He's just killing girls. You want to see cool deaths because you're there because you're a horror fan, right? But it's like, you're not like, man, I hope that guy gets away. I mean, he does. But, uh, you know, kind of thing like, but like, you're not rooting for him, right? It's not like you haven't invested time and money or time and energy in him. It's not even like um, Silent Night, Deadly Night. Like, we watched that kid go from a little kid, get abused. His mother gets slaughtered. You're rooting for him. When he's slaughtering, you're like, well, yeah. Yeah. But you know, know but, but that's what I'm saying. You spent so much time building this character. And then they're like, why do people like him? Because you built him. Don't build him right. into a character. But what but what what you actually get at this point in time in the 80s. Yeah. Okay, all of these different characters. Yeah. Your generation is now seeing as six, eight, ten year olds these characters. And you relate to them because they're man, they're cool. Well, they're cool, okay? yes, yeah, yeah. I mean, all of the critics on these movies, I would bet if you went back, they hated everyone. They hated every everyone. movie. So the adults didn't like it. So as 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 a, a re, I don't want to say revenge, but as I'm going to like them. The if 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 this movie bombed and it didn't make the money it did, would there be all these sequels? No. The same way with all the other ones. But once the once the the younger generation at that point, including the, the thirteen and fourteen year olds hooked into this, it became a oh, phenomenon. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And now it's a billion dollar industry. Right, right. And now the money signs are up. And so you're inundated with it. Yeah. I mean, we've been to we've been to conventions, like you said, and there's it's an easy costume for, for even even a ten year old to wear. Dirty, dirty pants, uh, a, a Christmas green, sweater. A green sweater and and a face mask. If even and, even if they even have the face stuff on. Right. Even they even makeup on their face, it's just a hat and a glove. Just a hat and a glove, but they would wear the plastic, the plastic, or they put the makeup, makeup on, a lot on of makeup, on. and and the glove, and they yeah. sell the glove. Oh my god, yeah. Well, I had a glove. Yeah. So, but what I'm saying is this. So think about this, right? Like in The Exorcist, right? You're not rooting for the devil. You no. want Regan to survive. Different kind of horror in The Omen. You're not rooting for Damien. 
right? I mean, by the time you get to like Omen 3, you're like, look, they got it coming at this point. Like, you didn't see this, you know, kind of thing. Like, you're not rooting for him to kill his mother and the unborn child and what. Like, I mean, you're just so like, oh my God, like, it's so evil. Like, but they want to create that evil, but you can't create that. You can't give that much backstory to that evil and make the character, you know, look cool. Right. And again, in, in The Exorcist, we don't ever see the devil. Right, we don't no. see the devil per se. I mean, he's, Regan's possessed. We got the face in the wall. We got, but like, you're rooting for Regan to to survive. You're not rooting for her to annihilate because she's not doing it. She's just the vessel. It's much in the way of like a newer movie, Pope Pope's Exorcist. Right? right, we're not rooting for the the thing possessing the poor child. We're rooting for you know Russell Crowe to defeat the thing. Right, you know. Kind of, but here, as much as people are rooting for Nancy to to you know defeat Freddy, right. At the same time, you're like, well, pretty cool. And this isn't wisecracking joke, Freddy. Right. This is still because she says she's God. He goes, "This is God," and he's like, "It's like it's little lines." But his best lines don't happen until two, three, four. Like by then, you start getting, "You're all my children now." You know, get ready for prime time. Like things like, like okay, like those lines that became headlines in Cinefantastique, in Fangoria, in in like even in like the trade papers that's what it becomes right you're all my children now which is part from part two which is the weakest of the problem right like that line people that line is on shirts that line yeah. is, everyone knows that line well, the, the main difference is characters like this are they're they're different than 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 a a devil thing because you're you no know. but what's happening here is it, any once once these movies hook you and then you go to a, a, this number two and number right, three right, right, yeah. no matter which oh, yeah, yeah. you're now watching it and you're not scared anymore there might be a few jump scares here and there but you're 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 yeah. actually rooting okay. for for the character yeah and when it's the devil you're actually scared silly yeah. because there is nothing to see there is nothing that right. that is physically there right. in front of you other than you're being the manifestations of what's right. happening to. Yeah. yeah. No, I get that. But I'm like, so think about like Alien, the original Alien, terrified people, yeah. terrified people. But the Alien is so freaking cool that oh, you're like, well, we gotta have more of this guy, right? right. And like, when Tommy got to the Predator, which the Predator we now have, not the original Predator that John Claude Van Damme was gonna play, look kind of weird, right? But like the Predator, he's really yeah. cool looking. But they knew Sam Winston knew he was gonna be really cool with mandibles and the whole thing, like that. It's become, I mean. Alien and Predator, you can just show it to people. They don't even see the movie. They know exactly who they are, right? Freddy Krueger, Jason Voorhees, Please. Michael Myers, Chucky. They all know. It's it's Santa Claus and Ronald McDonald. You literally don't have to know the brand right. to know the brand. Yeah. And but I'm saying we at this point we didn't know. Anyway, so let's get. We still got to. We still got to get. We, she's not even in in there fighting them yet. Right. All right. So the mother barricades the whole house. Um, and then she tells him what happened. They the vigilante justice. Nancy realized that Kruger, now a vengeful ghost, is trying to kill her and her friends as revenge on the parents. Now, here is the thing. There is a line here. So Nancy tries to warn Glenn, um, but she calls him because they live across the street from each other. Um, but then the dad uh, says, like, enough of this, you know, because the dad's tired of this. He's tired. That's what he is. He's just sick and tired and tired of his father's sick. And he took the phone off the hook. And Glenn is upstairs. And he's got the headphones on, mm. listening to music, waiting for Miss Nude Amer Miss mm. Nude USA mm. to come on, right? And the mom goes, "Well, how are you gonna hear what she's gonna say?" He goes, "I don't care what she's gonna say." Like that's it's so like kind of like tongue in cheek and funny. And then you thought the scene before mm. with the flipping was crazy. 
That scene, now, they use the same room. It's the turnaround room. Glenn gets sucked into the bed, which is the most, one of the, the hand comes up, it sucks him into the waterbed. He slashed them all up, right, kind of thing. And then it all shoots to the ceiling. As the parents are there watching, the blood geyser come down. It was all done. They blow it up, turn the room upside down, turn it up. Now, what do you think happened to all that blood? The room's upside down now. It goes out the window. What's outside the window? Lights, cameras. They shorted everything out. They, like, caused fires. They got one. They go, we had one shot at it. Thank God they got it. Because if they didn't get it, the whole scene's ruined. They can't do it again. There's no no setup. They just go. It is still effective now. That scene has been ripped off in like other directors, other movies, not blood. If it could be, could be the freaking the plasma shooting out of whatever. It could be it could from Ghostbusters, from um, right. um, you know, they, I mean, what do you call it? In a later Friday the Thirteenth, Freddy actually drowns a kid in a waterbed, no geyser, but drowns him in the waterbed. Like crazy stuff like that happens, and you're like, oh yeah, because you're like, and again, I know waterbeds are not really prevalent anymore kind of thing it's not really a thing people have but in the 80s yeah no, I don't no. think people had i mean just like i said with the boom box yeah i mean if you didn't have a water bed in the 80s oh you're not trendy right well i'm saying but like people had water beds nowadays i can't remember the last time i saw a water bed yeah that's not like 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 supposed to be a joke thing like uh, like an amusement park where you're like trying to walk across something or whatever but so she's trying to warn glenn of course now the cops are all there right and her dad's across the street whatever and she tells well you know when I'm going to pull him out, come get him. And he's like, all right, well, tell me where I'll go get him. No, I'm going to get him. You come get him. So the mom has now got the whole house locked because Nancy tries to go out the front door. And that has literally one of my favorite lines in the whole series that no one even cares about. The mom is drunk. Yeah, well, that's right. She becomes, well, she's an alcoholic the whole yeah, time. She's a, But you don't know that. She's got a bottle with her the whole time. No, right? no, but no. no she, she 100% does. The mother has the bottle of, on the counter, the bottle of, of uh, vodka. And then she's drinking later and she's trying to hide it behind her. And Nancy makes jokes at her, but she's not a fall down drunk, right? but she's a drunk. So when she's now like, like out, right, she's all drunk and she goes locked, locked, locked. I locked it all up. And I'm like, wow, it's a throwaway line in the movie. And literally that line now establishes so much. Now Nancy can't escape. Her plan is I'm going to get out and escape. With this, and my and the cop will come and get him. Now we can't, and we've established this is the other thing too. Is when before when Nancy was coming through in the uh, in the dream, when she's trying to run away, the stairs with the the goop in the stairs, Yo. and and how many dreams you're like, man, I can't move my feet. feet. You can't do this. It's so on point. Later, and we see it here. We reference it. So so Nancy now goes into her dream, right? So um. Where are we here? So Nancy tries to call. Okay, okay. So um, the booby trap. So she. Oh, she's reading the book. Oh. Improvised booby traps and what are um, no personnel. Per, I forgot what it's called. Yeah, but but it's, it's basically how to how to make booby traps, and that's that's earlier in the movie. Yeah, she's reading it. Yeah, like but the whole movie. Like, if you look through when you act and watch the second time on this movie, and I've seen this movie dozens dozens of times, it literally tells you everything that's going to happen. They signpost everything. Yeah. Well, again, but you don't know you're signposting right. now, until it's later. This is a teenage girl who's somewhere, maybe a junior in in high school. The traps that she's setting, she needed to be an electrician. She needed. To well, she's be- reading in the book how to do it. Yeah, but, again, but she's but, smart. Well, yeah. No, but, but, but okay. what are her traps? Okay. It's a sledgehammer held up with with rope. 
She's not, it's, it's, uh, you know, she's got things where she can make things that explode. She has, it's everything that she, in the scene in the basement, they show the sledgehammer on the table. They are signposting, Dad. Yes. What I'm saying is everything she needs, when you watch it again, it's in every scene. Right. She didn't have to go, well, I better go to the store and buy 40 pounds of TNT. Like, she literally, like, how is she making things that blow up? She's putting some chemicals together that are household chemicals. And that's part of the problem was that, like, if you mix stuff, sometimes boom happens, yeah. you know, kind of thing. But she, the sledgehammer's there. The whatever's there. Everything she's doing is there. Like, the the furnace is there. Like, everything is there. And it's seen. You're, it's not like, the, it's not it's not a magic bullet. It's not a, you know, a gun. It's not like she pulls out a gun from somewhere that she doesn't no, have. No, no. She literally is doing it all with stuff that's readily available in not everyone's house, but in her house, someone leaves a sledgehammer laying around, I guess, you know? Um, so she, so we're here. Uh, Guns falls asleep. Now alone, Nancy pulls Marge, uh, puts her to bed and tells Don who's um, across the street to investigate, to break into the house in 20 minutes. Na- Nancy rigs booby traps around the house and grabs Freddie out of the dream and pulls him into the real world. Now this is now in the basement and she hits him with the, the kerosene or gasoline, whatever yeah. it was. And he's now on fire again in the real mm. world. But the best is when she pulls him through, when he realizes, oh no, like this is a problem. Like, you can see it. Robert England through the makeup sells that scene because they think she pulls him through and he's now there and he's like, and he looks around and it's just that it's real quick, but it's like, oh my God, he just a hundred percent sold. Wait, now I'm not in control anymore. Now I'm in the, I'm in the wrong place and he still wants to kill her. Mm. But he's like, uh-oh, now in the real world. And that, that, again, throwaway lines and throwaway scenes that mean nothing to anybody on the first view or even the second view. But when you've seen the movie 10 and 12 and 15 times, right, those little things, you're like, exactly. That's what needs to be there. Because if it's not there, your eye would say it's wrong, but your eye doesn't notice it when it's right. So she pulls him through. She she hits him with the thing. She knocks him back down the stairs and the stunt person fell down that flight of stairs on fire. Oh, well, I give them 100% credit because that's hard to do. Right, again. <laughs> and it's not like he's a huge guy, so you can have all this padding on. He's skinny. Yeah. Like, there ain't a whole lot of padding. And but the, and the fire's the, real. The fire is real. Yeah, I mean, so, this is this is this isn't CGI. This is this yeah. is a real real guy running running up and down with the uh, with with flames and engulfing his entire body. Yeah. So she locks him in the basement, rushes to the door for help, screaming for help. Now they get across there. And there's now smoke coming out, right? So, of course, now the baton, the police arrive. Freddie has now escaped the basement. And they're like, where is it? There's a fire down here. And you see, and this is a straight callback to earlier in the movie, when she's running, the, her feet go into the goop. Now, what are the feet? The feet are now the fire. His feet set fire to the carpet, almost in the exact same pattern of the stairs. It literally is a direct callback. Um, which people, I guess, you know, so he go, she goes upstairs. Now he realizes he's upstairs. Now he's in the real world. He's going to kill the mom. So this is where scenes get weird and people are like, well, is it still a dream? Well, it's not a dream, but this is when things got weird. And at the end of the movie, I'm going to explain why that's like it is because that's really weird too. Now, Freddie's going to, in most, you know, he's going to, he's going to burn the mother alive so he's on top of her. But now it's like the bed is a portal or something. And that's not a hundred percent where that's going. It's never been explained. What you're supposed to assume is that like, she pulled him through, but is it, is she, is she really through? But he must be through. The cops are there. The house is really on fire. Um, but Freddie has like other abilities to go back into the dreams. And it's not a hundred percent clear. All I know is really cool looking scene. If people are like at this point, 
I can't imagine anyone going, oh, that's what finally got. Because you haven't been got by this point. You're not getting got in the movie. You know, if you're not, oh, you know, kind of thing. Um, um, so after Don extinguishes the fire, Freddie and Marge vanish into the bed. Um, when Don leaves the room, Freddie rises from the bed behind Nancy, realizing that Freddie is fueled by his victim's fear. She turns her back on him and he falls into nothing into her. Right? Everyone in that theater, I'm going to guarantee you, Nefor is like, don't, don't, no, he's going to get her. And he doesn't. And that's the swerve. Not bad. Not like, you know, like, you know, oh my God, your trick's a trick. But he's feeding off her fear. And and Glenn has said to her, well, they, well, if you're, so just turn your back on him. It takes all their power away. Yeah. Literally mm-hmm. turns her back on him. And you're like, don't turn. He's real now. Because now people are screaming. Now people are yelling at the screen. Now people are getting un. Now it's you're investing in like, we need her to survive. We like him. He's cool, but we don't know yet that he's Freddy Krueger cool. But he's kind of like, okay, he's the killer. But yeah, people are yelling and screaming. Don't turn around, girl. What's wrong with you? Literally, the end of Nightmare, no. End of Friday the 13th, two. What's the end of that movie? Smashed through the window. Plays went ballistic. People went, hit the roof, right? Because, but he had, you should have known it's coming. If you saw one, he jumps out of the lake and people literally had heart attacks. Freddy falls into her. Now, it's the next day. Everything looks normal. You're like, oh, everyone's alive. Oh my God. It was all whatever. Now they're all going to like, and he pulls up in the convertible. You're like, what is going on? This seems so weird. Why does it seem so, why is it so bright? Because the whole movie is a lot of dark. Yeah. Like it's, it's not rainy, but it's dark at night because of sleep and whatever. Now it's way too bright. In fact, they oversaturated the scene purposely to make it too bright. And you're like, okay. And they get in the car and like, oh, Glenn's alive. And oh, Rod's alive. Everyone's mm-hmm. alive. Like, okay. Oh, was, was it this whole movie? A dream. Was a dream? Was this whole movie a lie? And now people are getting mad. Because now we're like, wait, I just invested right. my emotions in this movie mm-hmm. and it's fake. And it's fake. And now then you have, so they had three endings. Guess which one they went with? All of them. They went with all three because they couldn't make up their mind. They shot three different endings. They they would they drive down the road. Little girl's jumping rope. Oh my god, it's not over. The convertible top comes up. It takes him away. Oh my god, it's not over. Freddie yanks her through the door. Oh my god, it's not over. Like they said, let's go with all three of them. They filmed all three and showed them the test runs. Oh, that's just long as like all of them. They go great. Keep them all. Keep them all. That's insane. But think about this. The whole movie has been like that. It's uneasy and doesn't fit well. And like, because it's supposed to be a dream. And when we are in the real world, everything fits. Now we're in a dream again. We don't know we're in a dream, but we're in a dream because nothing fits. People are alive who are dead. Where do you get that car from? Like what, what convertible is that? That's not the convertible yeah, he not, had before. He had a different no. car before. Yeah. And now the top comes up. And of course it's Freddie striped and Glenn's I'm not doing it. Mom, they're screaming. And there's the mom just blindly waving. Right. And people have bitched that it is one of the absolute worst special effects in the movie when he yanks the the clear cool. mannequin through the door. It's supposed to be. It's supposed to look like that. They did it on purpose. Because they said, well, we could have gone back and cleaned up. But do you notice how fast it went through the door? It's purposely like a dream. It's like, oh, it happened. Like, things happen and are wrong. And then there's the little girls jumping rope singing one, two, right? And then you're like, so you're like, wait, it's not over. So wait, so the whole movie wasn't a lie. But the whole movie is not, but we're not done. And now people are like, who went from being, oh my God, she survived. Wait, no, you're lying. Oh, what? So now your emotions are going all over the place. And what happens? Everyone gets out of that movie and they can't stop talking about it. They can't stop talking about Nightmare on Elm Street. They just can't stop talking about it. You don't open in November 
this is right before Thanksgiving, and do $57 million in 1984 money on a $1.1 million budget. Literally, this movie made like thousands of times its money back. And that's not even counting the merch sales, right. the and distributions. That's not even counting home video. That's not counting anything. That's just on the movie. Right. That's just butts and seats. And the, and the, the, the price of tickets wasn't... Uh, no, it was nothing. Know, it wasn't $15, $20 back then. Yeah, yeah. So um, the uh, it's... It's it's a Nightmare on Elm Street is a, a movie that a lot of people look at as being a seminal point in the kind of horror genre and like '80s cinema and whatever. And they talk about it in um, in Search of Darkness. They talk about yeah. Nightmare on Elm Street. I mean, it's very important. And it led to a series of movies that, as much money as the Friday Thirteenth movies made, nothing, no series of movies has ever made per movie as much as Nightmare on Elm Street. Whether that has to do with the fact that it's not just a serial killer in a mask kill, killing people, whether it has to do with the fact that Freddy Krueger was super cool, whether it could be, I don't know. I don't know why this one hits differently. It's not that I enjoy Nightmare on Elm Street more than I enjoy Friday the 13th or Halloween's or Child's Plays or whatever. Um, I like them all. Um, but it just hit different with kids um, and the audience and the, the people go see these movies. Now, in all fairness, part two did a really good job of trying to destroy the entire franchise. Um, but it has some amazing scenes in it that if you just added two or three more scenes, and now we're not talking about part two, but if you had two or three more scenes to that entire movie, I think it'd become one of the, the ones people would love the most. Um, part three might be the one that people has the most, some of the most iconic imagery in it because the special effects were amped up in that one. And then you get into like four, which a lot of people discovered on cable because HBO was right. super. I mean, that's what they, that's what kept these things going. They didn't show these all the time. Nightmare on Elm Street wasn't on TV all the time. Friday the Thirteenth wasn't on TV all the time. They weren't on TV all the time. You got to pay cable, HBO, Cinemax, Showtime, right? They needed stuff to put on there. Uh, Nightmare Four, Nightmare Five, they were on all the time. I saw in four and five before I ever saw one, two, or three. I didn't see three until I had seen like one. Cut up on TV, two cut up on TV, which is hard to watch. Cut up on TV. I'd never seen three. I'd seen four like 20 times, seen five like 20 times. And I finally saw three. And I'm like, now I understand what everyone's talking about. Now I know why people talk about that being the one. And it's hard because I saw the Nightmare on Friday the 13th cut up on USA up all night, right? And I never understood why people were, because I never saw one. They wouldn't show one. Because you don't want to show one. One doesn't make, one's not what you're trying to, you're showing a USA up all night and you're showing those. You want to show two, three, four, five. And, well, you like to show six and seven because those were, they weren't out yet, right? But you want to show that. You don't want to show one. One's a murder mystery. One's kind of, not that it's a slow, slow movie, but like, okay, once you know it's Mrs. Voorhees and one, it's like, okay, you're not watching for the, I mean, there's some cool kills, but you're kind of like, wait, who could it be? Like, what's going on? Like, now you know, changes the whole movie. Two, three, four, you know exactly who's coming. It's either Sackhead or a guy with the mask, and we're going to slice these people up, and you just watch it for the, you know, whatever, and it's all diced up. But I never saw them when they, I never saw them like full until I was older. And now I went back and rediscovered them, but I already knew the tropes. I already knew what happened. I already knew these people. I was invested in Jason Voorhees and Michael Myers and Freddy Krueger. I was invested in them as characters. So when I'm watching them, I'm not watching them as, you know, seven or eight year old kid who had no idea what was happening. I already know who you are. I already know the bad guy. I'm not worried about him. Let's see what's happening. Let's see what people are talking about. Let's see why people want, like three better than two. Why is everyone saying four is the best uh, at the time? 
um, um, you know, the best, the final, final Friday was the best of the Friday the 13th and why six became important later on. Like, I mean, it becomes important and you start liking the ones I personally like better it's personal choice, but why people talk about this stuff and you read things like, but why are they mentioning? Why is that always the same theme? As you look at them as a whole, you kind of look, you can look at all this, all the slasher movies as a whole and kind of write it off as just, as just, it's garbage. It's just garbage. Is it high cinema? No, it's certainly not high cinema. This is, this is no Citizen Kane, right? But for what they did for a movie industry that was, let's be honest, movies, I mean, when TV became, you know, when remember they thought that people were going to watch, they home watch television, no one's going to the movies anymore. They had to make big movies again, right? Well, what was kind of bolstering movies, it wasn't necessarily, you, were, you weren't getting 10 blockbusters a year. You're getting one or two huge movies a year in the 50s. Right? What were you getting in the fifties? Well, no, in the fifties. Yeah. Oh no, you were getting Ben Hur. You were getting Ten Commandments you every getting, year. Yeah, well, it was one after the other. Yeah, but not. But it wasn't. No, no, no. It wasn't Ben Hur at, at Easter and then at July Fourth. No, no, no. No, but now what do you get? Major tentpole movies, ten to twelve a year. Right. You got one, and then maybe you got two. Maybe you got one in the in the in whatever. Well, no, I got no. In the in the fifties, it may not have been. Uh, Ten Commandments every every year, but you had what they did was they 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 called together like Charlton Heston and uh, and and you know and, yeah. and 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 a bunch of other big teams uh, Elizabeth Taylor in Giant right. or in the Big Country and uh, Gregory Peck and they bunched them together and that's how they were sold, <clears throat> you know because okay. no, everybody had up up until that point like my my parents had invested. A lot in the not the characters that they played, but the persona. Yeah. That okay. okay. But what I'm saying is, so now if I have a movie that comes out March one, major blockbuster. March, so maybe not March eight, but I'm probably betting March fifteen. Next major blockbuster. Next major blockbuster. Next, you didn't have major blockbuster after blockbuster. What was filling in between those movies? No it westerns. Horror, like um, your B movie, all oh, your B movies in the fifties. Oh, yeah, but the B movies, the B movies were the second billing. No, you no, had no, no, no. you had you had major you had major pictures coming out, but they weren't they weren't earthquake or or the Poseidon. But that's adventure. what I'm saying is yeah, but those, those type of movies, those bigger than life movies. Later on, like even in the sixties, you didn't have right because because people stopped going to the going to movies. Well, okay, I don't. They know. They would go. People would go on a date night. Fine. But you wanted to make people. It made it an event. It used to be an event to go to the movies. Yeah, I, no, I, and it was still an event in the '60s because there wasn't much. There wasn't really much on TV that you because that that you could watch in the '60s. You had like El Cid was '61. You had um, Major Dundee was was '63 or '64. You had the Harryhausen movies, which were the fantasy ones coming okay, but out. Those, but those, no, but, they but were, those were not major. No, no, those no. were not major. Really, what I'm saying is nowadays it's. Tent pole, tent pole, yeah, tent oh, pole. No, no. That's, that's what we've gotten to because people now understand that's what you're going to do. When you had the the Ben Hur's and the and the Ten Commandments and the whatever, those were major, major releases. Right, and they weren't, and they didn't play. You would have he, the, he didn't play the, the local, local place roadshow, right? Yes, you'd have one. You'd have one at at, at one o'clock. Then you might show the next one at four o'clock, depending on how, okay. how long. So and then the, the evening right. moment was at eight o'clock, right? But 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 you but you didn't go see that. Like that wasn't playing at the Burke Theater. No, no. Right, you had to go to see it. Right. So, what was filling those other theaters up? Were the other movies 
they, with the with the, the westerns, the bug yeah. movies, the whatever, and the horror movies, the, 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 right? Yeah. That's what was making it up. You got into the seventies, and you start getting right. into now. We start having Star Wars. Right. We start having Godfather. Godfather. Like now, the these are adventure. holy cow. Right. These are yep. the huge. Movies. But those are not the movies, and they're playing everywhere. They're playing wide. Right. But those aren't the movies that are filling in the other theaters. It no. wasn't like The Godfather was shown in all ten theaters somewhere, no. or because no. they had ten theaters. But you might have had two theaters, and maybe both were showing The Godfather at offset times, and maybe you were selling them out. But what happened was you started having places that had six and seven screens. You had to fill six or seven screens. Yeah. And when you had people starting to fill those screens, people aren't going to go to the see the same movie over and over again if it's a three-hour epic. Right. Because it's just so much time. Right. But a 90-minute popcorn date movie started yeah. becoming the norm. Yeah. And that's when you got the raunchy comedies, like the Porkies and stuff like that. Right. And you got the all of those movies were so important to the rebirth of going back to the cinema as like, yeah. that's what you did on a well, Friday night. That's what Jaws did. When Jaws, well, opened, yeah. when, when Jaws opened, remember, there was there was no movie like Jaws prior to that. That that hooked people the way Jaws did. Mm -hmm. But but Jaws coming out in 75 set the tone that, well, now we've got to have a summer blockbuster right. movie. Oh, no, I, and, yeah. then, and now what's happened is, like you said, but now it's not just a summer movie. You have to have they're, a blockbuster every month. And did like Disney, they're, they're, they're jockeying for position as to, well, can we get a week of everybody going or do we need two weeks to recoup right. the, the investment? And so you see, like you said, you'll see a movie come out in the the end of February, yeah, right. Like three hundred okay. came out the end of February. Three hundred was dumped in February because they were afraid, afraid that no one would see it. Right, and it turned out to be. Well, it's one of the highest grossing movies ever in February. It's also one of the highest grossing, um, yeah, February releases ever. But they were worried because it was R and it was artsy and people didn't understand. Yeah. And then people were like, "Oh no, we love this." Yeah, but the same way with Sin City, it was. It's basically Sin City the same. Did not type. make the money. No, no, I know yeah. it didn't make the money, but no, but the no, the, the visual, yeah, yeah, the visual, right. Of the, but three hundred was first. Three hundred yeah. came before that, and then once that worked, the people were like, hey, well, who's this Frank Miller guy? It's like, really, you're just catching on, yeah, right? No, I understand what I'm saying. That is that we now are in a situation where we don't get like it's not like well, you know, this summer is the only movie. Like you might only be looking forward to one movie, yeah, but it was like like um like like Kong X Godzilla. Right, people are like, oh, I'm looking forward to that because I want to see that because they like that series. But the Fast Eleven's got to come, and then we right. got to have this, and they got to have this. You got to have the next, 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 next. Yeah. And even though, even though there might be uh, diminishing returns on in some of those series on the movies themselves, they are still major right. blockbusters. Right. And now the small cinema, the small stuff, like the 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 stuff that I tend to like, the stuff from A24 and the whatever, I got to go find it. Again, go to the theaters yeah. and see it. Right, it's hard to go get it. Well, again, what's happening now is that with the with the proliferation of all of the streaming, yeah. See, Netflix has. I mean, there's a new movie coming out of Netflix every week, and a lot of times they're really good movies. Well, because they're able to go purchase the movies that would be in the theater normally. Right. They're able well, to so purchase. Well, I told you that that the 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 movie theaters are drying up yeah. simply because they don't have enough content yeah. to fill up well, the ten screens. Even if you did have enough content. I can think about it. Like, so a perfect example, like a movie like Napoleon, right? Which they were supposed to be a Christmas movie. They opened right. it at Thanksgiving because they knew they could try because there was nothing to go against. And Napoleon did fine. Its money was not, and it wasn't like, but it certainly did not, it was not a Titanic, like set no. records of no. all time. And whether the movie is good or not, because I haven't seen it, but whether it's good or not, that's immaterial almost. Nowadays, it doesn't matter how good your movies are. 
just how much money does it make? Right. Right. Which is why when you looked at things in the eighties and stuff like that, movies like people are like, I, I hate all those Friday the 13th movies. Well, you know who didn't hate them? Um, Frank Mancuso Jr., even though his dad was not happy that they were making these garbage movies, Frank Mancuso Sr., Paramount was very happy with a $1 million investment and a $45 million return. Right. Right. They're very happy with that. But they eventually, once they, but once you weren't profit, as profitable, you got cut. Right. What we're seeing now, and again, and again now, those kind of movies don't exist in the theaters anymore. Everything now is put up. But like Bloomhouse makes lots of horror movies. Some go to theaters. Some go to straight to DVD or not DVD, go straight to Prime right. or Netflix because they're purchased out, right? So when you start seeing that, back in the day, there wasn't that option. A Nightmare on Elm Street, that it played in a theater is because there was no other option for it. It wasn't like you could say, well, let's just put it right to VHS because VHS wasn't even this. 84? It wasn't... Ex no, VHS it was, was, it was, it was rental. It wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't right. purchased. Yeah, it was blockbuster. Yeah. Well, there was, yeah, well, yeah, not, it, was mom, it was mom and pop. At the mom 80s. and pop, yeah. Well, we, first ones we used to get was from the gas, gas station. station. That's how mom and pop it was. But, but that's what I'm saying. So something like this was, was, is now people are like, oh, now it's the next whatever, or it's a horror movie and you have to like hype it up. Like, um, like the, the Bloomhouse movie Imaginary. Like it's something different. It's about yeah. imaginary friends who are going to kill people. Like, like you got to push that things. But like a movie, for example, and I know you didn't see it yet is an alien watch. It's called Five Nights at Freddy's. It's based on a video game, whatever. It's very much like uh, Wally's Wonderland and whatever. They put that on Peacock. And Haley and I watched the day it came out. It went to the theaters and people went to the theaters to see it because they're very big into the game because you had a tie-in already. Right. Right? Haley and I are watching. We don't have a tie-in to Five Nights at Freddy's. It was good. Right? But we're like, would that be a movie I'd want to spend at this point on a, on a cheap time? $12 per ticket to go yeah. see? No. And that's right? and that's a, and that's the cheap. That, that's right. That's, that's cheap. cheap. So you know, but what happened last summer? We had there were a number of movies that came out, but the two that that you didn't expect would be billion dollar movies was Barbie, and and Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer. I mean, they came out basically almost at the same time. Now there was other movies that came out that got second, you know, second shift, but yeah. are really good, like. The the uh, last voyage of the Demeter, that came out the same week as the others, yeah. and it got decimated. It yeah. Got, yeah, no. yeah. Hopefully they'll continue that story if it makes enough money on Blu-ray, because word of mouth of that is is pretty positive. Yep. So once word of mouth is positive, would my where would that play on uh, on the streaming? That one like a Prime or oh no. So what happens is like uh, so um, depending on. Like right now, it's you. You can get. It's not on Prime. You have to purchase it. Purchase right? it. Yeah. yeah, it's it's a purchase, and you can stream it through like Voodoo or like Movies Anywhere. But you have to purchase. Right. Could it eventually get to Netflix? Maybe it depends on who the. It's all about distribution rights and stuff like yeah. that, and like whatever. And but movies go on and off of streaming all the time, and that drives me absolutely nuts. I detest that part about streaming, um, because and I know I'm the old man in the room railing against windmills, but physical media. My Blu-ray of uh, Last Voyage of the Detmer, it shockingly didn't go anywhere. If I move it yeah. to a different place in the I, house, but, uh, but it's not going anywhere. But I agree. With, you know, why? But, why can't? Why can't everything stay in the cloud? Well, why? but here's the problem: is when that's why when I purchase movies, you have them. Yeah. So when Prime no longer is showing whatever movie it is, but I've purchased it, you can still watch it because it's still there. Yeah. It's just they don't want to make everything available to everyone all the time because then people are like. Not say you get bored with it, but they want to make they want to make it like 
Um, oh, what's the latest? The yeah, latest what, what can I, wait, what's yeah. new? What's coming out? Because then it, it creates a, a, a fake buzz, right? Kind yeah, of thing, right? That's right? Like, I mean, I'm not going back and watching. There are plenty of movies I watch one time. I don't need to ever watch again. There's nothing wrong with them. It's just I don't need to go back and watch them again because they're not a movie that's going to sum But then there's other movies I've watched 10, 15, 20, 30, 50 times. I mean, I literally, I, I'm not kidding. I have seen Monster Squad. Like right. a movie that was a throwaway, couldn't even be in the theaters almost. They didn't want to even put it out. One of my favorite movies, and I'm not alone. There are plenty of people my age who literally, Monster Squad is one of their favorite movies. Like, they, they talk about, oh, like, I love this movie. This movie. Like, what about Monster Squad? Oh, Monster Squad. Yeah. Like Monster Squad is not even considered to be, like you don't even talk about it being your favorite movie of all time because it's not even like in the category of like a movie I may or may not like. It's like, oh, well, it's a different level. It's, it's literally like, like it's a movie that, I cannot tell you how many times Haley has watched it as a child who is way too young to even relate to anything they're talking about. Like they're riding bikes at night and they're like her age. She's like, like, like there's like 12 or 13. It's like, that's nothing she would ever understand. That doesn't exist anymore. Not here. And they're in like Louisiana, but yet the middle of Illinois and what, none of the things make sense, but the movie's perfect the way it is. Right. But is it the greatest cinema of all time? No. no. Are there better made movies? Yes. I mean, I'll be hard pressed to find me a better looking Gill man somewhere else. Cause the special effects are outstanding, but those are kind of things. I don't even look at like, like I don't like people say all the time, like, well, what's your favorite scary movie? Ah, it's like, okay, I can't pick one. It's like, it's like people ask me, who's your favorite wrestler today or like ever, ever. or like Justin NBA, Justin WWA F Justin WWE, right. like this, this when, like from. how many years, yeah. the only main event, like what's your favorite scary movie? I don't have a favorite scary movie. But if I said to somebody, what's a movie you would show someone that you want to, who, who's not into horror to scare them? That's a different story. Yeah. Because I got a lot of movies I can tell you about that are safe enough to go into. Because most people are like, Exorcist, immediately. Don't yeah. show people the Exorcist immediately. Because if you've never experienced this, the scares to get to that, you're not ready for that. Because then what happens is the movie then, you, you just, you, you kind of go comatose. You blank out right. and miss the whole thing. Talking about that kind of thing, like, Nightmare on Elm Street is literally people love this movie and this series of movies. People have tattoos and whatever. And I have very, I don't have any Freddy tattoos, but I'm saying, but I have, you know, shirts with Nightmare on Elm Street, Freddy Krueger, this, that, and the other thing. I have the, the posters. I have almost, I, have, I think I have almost all of them as magnets on my fridge. The posters are super cool. Everything about this was cool. The whole idea of what's pushing out what they did with these kind of movies, there's such a love of them. And I don't, I mean, I'm not someone who, again, somebody who literally has Jason Voorhees tattooed on his arm. I have Carrie uh, tattooed on my leg. I will say to people, Carrie is one of my favorite movies of all time. It's also one of my favorite books. But I wouldn't say to people, oh, well, I, my favorite movie of all time is Friday the 13th Part 7. Do I love it? Absolutely. I love Friday the 13th Part 7. Jason vs. Carrie is the coolest thing ever, right? But, like, is it a movie that people are like, well, you don't like it? I'm like, no, I love it. It's just it's not, like, it's not Predator, right. not Terminator. Right. It's not Aliens. It's not Gladiator. Like there are certain movies that literally, like I, I have seen how many, how many, think, how many times you watch Gladiator, huh. right? <laughs> I cry the whole movie. I don't even, I can't even get no. through the beginning of the movie. I just start crying because I know what's going to happen at the end because I love the movie so much. But when I saw Gladiator in the theater, it was like, okay, what am I watching? Like what's unfolding in front of me is a story and characters that I truly care about and characters you truly despise. Right. I remember when Gladiator was first coming out. Where were the commercials? The commercials are on the wrestling channel. Yeah. Right? So I, to me, I thought it was it was going to be a wrestling movie, 
Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it turned out to be one of the well, greatest as, movies as, of all time. Yeah, right. But that's what I'm saying. So when you look at those kind of things, like I can tell people, like I look at people say, what? But he was like, well, what's, and I'm like, well, you have to quantify things. Like, what's your favorite comedy? Because I might not have a comedy right. that's my favorite movie of all time. But The Odd Couple is, is still, even though it's very dated in what they're talking about, very funny. The original Major League, very, very dated, funny. still very funny. funny. But you can get into like, but comedy is hard. Like Plane Change and Automobiles is still hysterically funny. I've seen that. I don't even, I don't laugh that often during the movie anymore. Right. Because I know what's coming and there's things that are funny. And literally the scene at the airport about his car is still going to be funny to this day because that's the way I talk. But like, it's, but it's saying like, you look at different things. When you look at different genres, these slasher movies filled a perfect niche. It came in. Right. And it just fed the, the 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 kids who were my age and a little older, and it fed us that horror. And then you had the raunchy comedies in there, the 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 porkies and the meatballs and the whatever. Those raunchy, they're not funny anymore. But man, they were good in the eighties because that's what the eighties were. And literally, those kind of movies now would get banned because you can't say half the words they say in them or like whatever. It's just the way same way Mel Brooks said, "Hey." Right. You got your comedies. I'll make my yeah. And everyone knows Young Frankenstein. Young Frankenstein is mainstream, whatever. But Blazing Saddles, can you even show Blazing Saddles yeah. anymore? Yeah. Maybe you can show it on TV in a three and a half minute time slot, right? Like, that's what I'm saying. Is, so he, he made certain things. And people made things that fit in places because it worked really well. And when you go back and look at those things, why do those things hold up? Why is it still funny? Why is it still scary? Why is Jaws still effective? You know it's a shark. You no, it's definitely a shark. Jaw still works. Why? Because they were made at the right time. They're made the right way. Wes Craven's one of those kind of directors. John Carpenter's one of those kind of directors. Even Sam Raimi. They make movies that endure because they put stuff on the screen that, even if it's not like we said, someone's movie confusing. That's fine. You just are like, okay, I'm trusting this guy. This is good. When you get, I mean, that's why. And not to go too far afield, but we talked about House Thousand Gorgeous. Uh, uh, in like, yeah, no, no, in background Thanksgiving right. time, Rob Zombie. Some people detest his movies. They hate him. They don't give a what it is. They hate it. But I know when I go to a Rob Zombie movie, I'm not going to see something pleasant, something nice. Right. I'm going there and I'm watching this movie, saying, "Okay, Rob's going to give me something that's grimy and dirty and visceral and just disgusting, and it's going to push." Do I want to watch this anymore? And that's not for everyone, yeah. right? And yet you can't take your eyes oh, no, off the right, screen. Right, but I'm saying, but it's not for everyone. Devil's Rejects is probably a better example than House right. of Course. You watch this, you're like, is this something I, like, I mean, some people are like, I don't want to watch this. And that's fine. You don't have to. But then I watch those kind of things. And I'm like, okay, that's good. Then I then you go to like movies like, even going older, Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. I don't know if I could ever watch it again. It is so disturbing. And so, and I, Michael Rooker is in, is in Disney movies now, for crying out loud. Yeah. Right? So, can you watch it? Can you keep going? Some people with the same thing with Maniac. I've seen Maniac a dozen times. Yeah. Right? You would see the one of the, one of the things that the reason why you can watch him is that you you have to to divest yourself that the guy you that the guy you're watching is the actor that you like. Yeah. Because that's why when you have a movie that comes out and there's people that you've never heard of before, yeah. that's Often better. It hits better. Yeah. 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 I because mean, so. if you're watching, I mean, I, I, I'm, something that absurd. If Cary Grant was a bad guy, you'd be you'd be looking at him saying he's he's playing that tongue in cheek. He's doing that's not him. That's not him. Well, I'm saying is like that but, can't. But be that was how characters were back in there. You yeah. guys did not play. Uh, very few people could ever play 
the the heavy the, the crossover, and the right. other. There was no crossover. Now you have guys who play both. Now some guys lay on one side more than the other. The Rock is not going to be the bad guy right. in a movie anymore. Right. I think he never really was a bad guy, right? Because it's just not who he is. But Dwayne Johnson, physically looking at him, I mean, he's a good looking guy. But I'm saying is like, if you physically looked at him, he's huge. Like he's humongous. Yeah. Could he, could he look like a killer in a movie? Yeah, he's huge. I mean, yeah. I believe that guy could tear the wall down and yep. get me. And yet you have actors, the, the, the real classic actors that could play comedy and drama. Which, and I'm talking about Edward G. Robinson and James oh, Cagney. Right, they, right, 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 you, right. When right. you think of them, when you think their their uh, collection of movies runs the gamut well, from, I mean, especially Edward well, that's because they also did gangster movies too. But like a guy like Cary Grant played in serious movies and in comedies. comedies yes. yeah. And but like, but he always played the same type of character. Well, but yes, because that's who he is. Because, yeah. because again, you're also looking at this guy going, okay. The difference is this. So I look at it this way. Um, Brad Pitt, who some people don't like as an actor. Brad Pitt is funny. Brad Pitt can be serious. Yes. Brad Pitt can be in, you know, he can play the cop. He can play the whatever. Now, Brad Pitt, at this point in his career, plays a lot of the characters that, like, I mean, he very often plays someone who's funny in a movie yeah. kind of thing, right? But, like, you look at through his career, he played a lot of different characters. The other one, like, George Clooney, is on. he always plays a good guy kind of thing. But George Clooney can do comedy. And he could do straight as well, kind of thing. His dramas, not quite the level. I think Brad Pitt's better than he is. But like, do so you look at some of those guys now? You don't have many of that. You have, but a lot of guys right. are one side or the other. If you put, like, again, if you tried to put John Cena in a serious, heartfelt role, like serious drama, and that's not, has something to do with like, like not legendary, where he's talking about, it's about wrestling, like uh, amateur wrestling. Mm -hmm. It's hard. John Cena is really good in comedies. Because he can act. I mean, he's good in action movies, but he can act. Yeah. And he's funny. Well, see, the thing, he's, but, but, he's but, a really good example of what if he's playing, let's say, American Psycho. No, he doesn't You're work. not going to believe it. Well, but Christian Bale yes. can play the killer <laughs> and play Batman right. because that man's insane and he like lost all that weight for the machinist. But that's what I'm saying. But Christian Bale is that. No he's matter, one of those. No matter what kind of person he might be in reality, because yeah. people don't like him a whole lot, he can do those things. But even his, even in, even. Patrick Bateman in American Psycho, oh. you're kind of rooting for him. You're kind of rooting yeah. for him the whole time. Yeah. You're like, I, I know I'm not supposed to like you, but I kind of like you, you know, um, especially if you remember the 80s at all um, kind of thing. But like, uh, you know, there's guys who can do that, but it's it's rare. Anyway, um, so we're kind of getting way far afield here. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, if you haven't seen it, um, it's 40 years old. Go back and watch it. Um, I have it on, I mean, I purchased it on, on Prime, so we always have it there. I have a Blu-ray. There is a Blu-ray set of all of them together that used to be a block, a block, a Best Buy exclusive, but now Walmart carries it and it's on Amazon and stuff like that. If you don't own them, that's probably the best way to get it. Probably for like twenty-five bucks, get the whole series of movies. How many are there? Seven. Uh, there's five. Uh, Dream Child. Then there's Freddy's Dead. I think Jason vs. Freddy comes in that set. It might have the new one, the remake. Like so, there might be eight. Yeah. Well, I got to tell you that that. That you asked me to, to re help you review this. I had never seen yep. this movie. Well, that's one of the reasons I wanted you to watch it. Yeah, I had never seen it. And I, it, it really floored me because yeah. I, it really was the, being the, with the physical effects especially, mm -hmm. because we're, 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 we're jaded. Uh, we, we want that more than we want the CGI. 100%. And the story kept you, I mean, it kept your interest all the way to the end. But again, at the end, you say to yourself, what the hell just happened? Yeah. You know, 
But he yanks the mother through the... But she is already dead. They're all dead. The only person alive yeah. is Nancy. Yeah. And you want... But you want to believe that maybe there's, there's an, a happy outcome, but there is no happy ending. And now you want to know more. Yeah, so she never... So she never... You know, well, she... Does she get away? In the car... Even though she's still she's still alive, she's still sitting in the in the in the passenger seat. So you want to ruin this for you? She does because she's in part three. Oh no no, I'm sure she is. I'm well sure. no, she's very important in part three. Those of you who have seen part three know how important Nancy is in part three. But Nancy's very important because she's the survivor. Yeah, like she's not even like Laurie Strode. She's like this is a different level of kind of thing. Right. Well, the car that's driving away at the end that's that's another dream. It's all a dream. That's another it's dream. All a dream. Yeah. That. But is it a dream where Freddy's trying to kill them? Is Freddy too weak? We learn about that too, where you take Freddy's powers and it takes him a long time to get stronger and he has to have people have being afraid. Um, this is all part of the mythology of Freddy, is that he needs he 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 needs fear. And when he doesn't have fear, he gets weak. And when he's weak, he goes away, which is why Freddy disappears and why no one has to worry about it. But all of a sudden something happens that may not have anything to do with Freddy. And people are now and afraid he, again. And he, fear drives him and, and, he, and he, it makes he, him stronger. He, he, yeah. He, 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 he. Which is why this movie is so different and why this whole series of movies is different. So anyway, folks, that wraps us up for our Valentine's Day episode of this. Because um, there's no greater love story than Nancy and Freddie. Um, you know, which is if, you, if you've ever seen Wes Craven's New Nightmare, you realize that how much Nan how much Heather Landingcamp and Robert Englund love each other like, as people because they help each other get through this stuff. And let's face it, their careers have, will always be intertwined together as Nancy and Freddie. Um, so, all right, folks. So we will be back um, again. Our our eighth anniversary episode is coming up. That's going to be um, our next one. That's Mighty Joe Young for 1949. If you haven't seen it, 75 years old. If you haven't seen it, what are you waiting for? It is. I mean, well, I'm saying, what are you waiting for? It's 75 years old. Like, oh, I'm, not, I'm not touching until it's 80. I, for the for the you women out there, it's my it's my wife's favorite movie she's watched that a hundred times yeah. and every time she gets she gets so engrossed yeah. and it puts a smile on her face yeah so we will cover that in for our eighth anniversary yeah. all right folks so um like we say around here keep those cards and letters coming and keep watching the skies this is tokyo once a city of six million people what has happened here was caused by a force which up until a few days ago was entirely beyond the scope of man's imagination Tokyo, a smoldering memorial to the unknown. An unknown which at this very moment still prevails and could at any time lash out with its terrible destruction anywhere else in the world. Hi folks, Luke Giaconetti here. I'd like to ask you a few questions. Do you like giant monsters? Or as they're called in Japan, Daikaiju? Monsters like Godzilla, Rodan, Gamera, King Ghidorah, or Mothra? Do you like more obscure monsters, such as Gappa or Yangari? Do you like giant heroes like Ultraman, or super robots like the Shogun Warriors? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then I think you might like my podcast, Earth Destruction Directive. I'm a dedicated fan of all things Daikaiju, and I'd like to share that with all of you. Please check out Earth Destruction Directive at twotruefreaks.com. Earth Destruction Directive, where we turn your daikaiju dreams into city-smashing reality.
This has been an episode of Bots, Bugs, and Babes, the B-Movie Podcast. If you'd like to contact me, please email the show at botsbugsbabes at gmail.com. If you'd like to find me online, I'm on Facebook under my name, Jason Jacknetti. I often contribute to the Two True Freaks Facebook group. You can visit my Facebook page, The Art of Horror Collective, and you can search the hashtag, The Art of Horror Collective. On Instagram, find me under my name, Jason Jacknetti, and search the hashtag, The Art of Horror Collective, as well as the new hashtag, Bots, Bugs, Babes Podcast. I'm the only one using them. I'm also on Twitter, at Jason Jacknetti, and you can visit my webpage at www.theartofhorrorcollective.wordpress.com. All movies, characters, stories, music, etc. are properties of their respective holders. This is a fan work, and any use of any property is purely for review, discussion, entertainment. So don't sue me. I ain't got anything anyway. There is no tomorrow. There is no tomorrow. There is no tomorrow. Will you stop?